日本史学習に最高にもってこいのサイトサムライアーカイブスポッドキャストへようこそ美しい自然にあふれてる縄文時代から波乱万丈な幕末まで全時代を網羅して日本史の隅から隅まで一緒に語り合いましょうでは早速日本史の世界へ Hey, welcome back to the Samurai Archives podcast, coming to you live via podcast from the Samurai Archives studio, the old original Samurai Archives studio, live from the hatch. Since, since we've been kicked out of our new and improved one. Yeah, we, have the, we actually have two extremes. We have the freezer and we have the oven. The oven. <laughs> so today we're in the oven. And we're going to be talking about the Kemu restoration. That's what we'll be starting with. That's when Emperor Godaigo decided. That he,、uh, he wanted,、uh, as emperor, he felt that he had the right to have actual power and privilege to, actually, to have real power.、Mm-hmm. And we'll go on from there to the transition into the Ashikaga period with the Ashikaga shoguns. And that's probably where we will wrap it up for today. So without further ado, I'm Chris. We're here with Travis. Yo. And Nate. Charmed as always. And who would like to start? Oh, okay.、Uh, essentially, last time we talked about、uh, you know, the, the state that the Bakufu was in after the、uh, Mongol invasions in the latter half of the,、uh, the 13th century.、Uh, and so, just to remind all of our listeners our dedicated listeners. Yeah, our dedicated listeners who, of course, download us and listen every week and, and provide us such wonderful feedback. The, the, the government, the Kamakura government, was left. Pretty much on a war footing for about、uh, 30, well, into the 14th century, into the 1300s.、Right. Uh, because they didn't know, even though the Mongols didn't, never came back after 1281,、uh, they weren't sure that that, I mean, they didn't know that, that the Mongols weren't going to come back.、They、but as far as I know, they, they, they actually were planning on it and they had actually started building up their forces in an armada, but it didn't actually <laughs> launch, launch the third attack. Okay.、Yeah. So they, they, I, I guess something、yeah. happened and they decided we better. Deal with that issue, and then from that point on, they、so、never, the, never got the, the bottom line. Is resource? Oh, sorry, go ahead. And, and the Mongols did attack、um, Ryukyu somewhere around that time, like 1300 or something.、Hmm. Okay, 1390, 1300. Okay, so, so there was a, a credible threat of additional Mongol attacks on Japan uh, that the, uh, the Bakufu had to continue to put resources towards. Uh, defending the,、uh, the, the southern areas of Japan, uh, uh, even though an attack never happened.、Uh, in addition,、uh, we have the problem where their, his, you know, historically, the way that they rewarded service was by rewarding their, their, the Gokanian with,、uh, with lands, with、uh, title to tax rights. Of,、uh, of lands. And, exactly. You know, as we talked about during the Joki War, <coughs> 3,000 estates were confiscated from the followers of Kotoba that were then handed out as rewards for the samurai who had fought you know, against the,、uh, the Kotoba's forces in the Joki,、um, Joki War. Right,、um, which was about, what, 60, 60 to 70 years before the yes, Mongol War? Yeah, yeah, 1221. Yeah, so you would so, think that the.、Uh, All of this、right. extra land that was doled out would have you know, kept them happy, but、uh, they, built, they basically built the culture where if you、right. perform an act of, in war or you do, you do your duty, then you deserve to be、so、compensated with land. Exactly. So now you know, we have the Mongol invasions, the Mongols get uh, destroyed, uh, you know, 
You have. But there's no new land. Basically. You ha yes, you have the samurai who fought, who actually did the fighting, who feel that they should be rewarded, and then, additionally, you have the temples and shrines around the country who feel that they should be rewarded. Why? Because they prayed Praying for the destruction for of <laughs> the Mongols. Of course, of course. And so when they are destroyed by the divine wind, they take credit for it. Right. Okay. That so, so not only do you have the, the situation where you know the, the warriors who fought feel that they deserve compensation, you know, which let's face it, I'm sympathetic to them. I, I'm in the army. I want to get paid for what I do too. But you have the, the temples and the shrines around the country, the major, the major ones especially, you know, saying that they deserve uh, rewarding for the work that they did in praying for the defeat of the Mongols. Mm. Uh, and as Chris said, there's no land to give. I mean, they didn't get to confiscate another island from, uh, from the Mongols or anything. So. Yeah, they're, they're, I guess they all the spoils of war were at the bottom of the uh, yeah, sea of Yeah, I mean, there, there, was, there was nothing to be be done about it. So it develops into a very, into a situation where there's a lot of resentment uh, at Kamakura for this. Uh, and this continues on for about uh, 50 more years until we get to the end of the 1320s and the 1330s with... Uh, well, starting in, I would say starting in 1318 when Godaigo takes the throne. Right. Yeah. So, um, sure, we'll use that as, as our starting point. So Godaigo takes the throne uh, in 1318. Now, we've talked in previous podcasts about the uh, the institution of the Inse or the Incho uh, and the the Inse system right. of government, where the the retired emperor or the In, right. the cloistered uh, emperor, yes, ru ruled in the sense of controlled the imperial family. And Godaigo takes over, and he decides that not only does he not want to have that happen anymore, I, I believe he has his father. Retire from public life. Well, basically, take the 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 in. Yeah, actually, I think his his father was the cloistered emperor. Mm -hmm. I, I believe he he actually was, and then he had him step down. Right. Basically, say I don't need any power behind my throne. I'm in charge. Right. Uh, I'm. Don't quote me on that, but I, I think that's how it went. So, well, this this is indicative of Godaigo's attitude about things, which was, I'm the emperor. I'm going to rule. Right. Um. So what he. What he does, essentially, is the exact same thing that uh, Gotola did about 100 years before. <coughs> he tries to challenge the Bakufu and take back some of the powers that have been delegated mm. to the, uh, the Hojo Shiken, uh, the, uh, the regents. The, the regents, yeah. Thank you. Sometimes I use too much. No, it's, too many it's, words, but it's good to know that the Japanese yeah. terms. But it's also good to know what they what they're referring. Yeah, to. Yeah, we have to reference them. So um, Shiken equals equals the regent. That's yes. what the title was of the Hojo, the head of the Hojo family, who oversaw the entire government. And I think um, also uh, this on behalf of the shogun, who they drafted out of the imperial family. <coughs> yeah, that's the puppet shogun. Yeah. So uh, you know, it's it's probably worth mentioning, and, and maybe for your side of things, that it was sort of a romantic notion that I think maybe writers or they they were saying like, oh, uh, Godaigo is basically repeating Gotoba's. He's sort of following in the footsteps of his ancestor and trying to take back the power. Right. And so they had the kind of this romantic, uh, you know, that he's our emperor is is following in the footsteps of his predecessor. Well, and the difference in this is, you know, in 1221, the Hojo had just consolidated 
you know, control of the Bakufu, uh, Masako was still alive. The AKA the Nun Shogun. Yeah, AKA the Nun Shogun, the, uh, the wife of Minamoto Yoritomo and, and uh, probably the strongest willed woman in all of Japanese history. Who either, well, who, if, if that's the case, must have, have had her sons assassinated then. <laughs> um, in, fact, in fact, she did. I think we talked about that in the Kamakura uh, podcast. She, I, the book well, that I was, I, from the I, book that I was yeah. just reading and can pull it on my back right oh, no, now. No. Yeah. Um, it uh, uh, it says that she uh, was instrumental in, in in orchestrating the assassination of Yori Ie. The third, Which, the third shogun was it Sanetomo? Not Sanet. I don't oh. think it was Sanetomo. Sanetomo right. seemed to have been killed in an act of by random his, violence. By his yes. cousin. By his yeah. No, that's, I'm sure, I'm sure that's, that's what that's what you were referring to. I um, think it was you were referring to this. No, it was the same assassination. Yeah, it was Yuri. Masako yeah, was somehow behind it. Yeah, but. But yeah, because the, the books that I read, which were actually older, I, I was reading some general histories, which I think were published, all are older than some of these newer books. Were basically following maybe the traditional idea that she wasn't aware mm. of what Tokimasa was doing. Interesting. Which, this is news to me. I don't know. Which if she's as powerful as everyone says, and as uh, it has, yeah, a, has right. a you know has a finger in every cake or pie or whatever the whatever the phrase whatever is. the phrase is, then she she must have known what was going on. Mochi. Yeah. <laughs> She had her fingers in a lot of different mochi, different, different mochi, mochi balls. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. Oh, by the way, since you have the book out, let's hear the title of the book. Uh, the book is "The World Turned Upside Down: Medieval Japanese Society" by Pierre Francois Soury, uh, and it's one of the books I'm reading for class. So um, he states on page 49, and I'll just read it verbatim since we're kind of diverging from the Ashikaga, but you know, Whatever. we got to get there, right? This is good stuff. Masako began her political career by eliminating her <coughs> son, Yori Ie, in 1203. This young man, tyrannical and sickly, was manipulated by the Hiki clan, a powerful vassal group in oh, Kanto. Because Yoritomo had been raised by a nurse from the Hiki family, to whom he felt a filial gratitude, he insisted that his oldest son also be raised by a woman of the Hiki family. Later, Yori Ie married a Hiki woman with whom he had a son. A fierce battle for control of the Bakufu then broke out between the Hiki and the Hojo families. Mm. Masako and her father took the initiative and had the vassal warriors of the Hiki massacred, along with Yoriye's young son. So first she had his her grandson yes. and uh, his, I, his family. I, I, remember I have to say, this is almost exactly the polar opposite of what I was reading. Yoriye himself oh. was deposed and died a few months later, no doubt assassinated by a hitman hired by the Hojo. I remember coming across the um, the site of the Hiki. I'm not sure if it was the site, the site of the massacre or the site of where their land used to be or something like that when I was um, exploring Kamakura. I'm going to continue on just because this is interesting. Well, let me let me first just sure. mention what the other the other books that I re were reading phrased it completely different. They said, uh, "Oh, Yoriie was was trying to follow in the steps of his father and and." felt that he, as Shogun, had the right to control, and he felt the Hojo were, were overbearing and pushing him in directions he didn't want to go. And he enlisted the Hiki, uh, and I think there was another family involved. He, he sided with them because he did not agree with the Hojo and felt they were being overbearing and pushing him in directions he didn't want to go. And then, I believe it was Tokimasa, had him assassinated without Hojo Masako knowing but basically, they blamed everything on the Hojo. They, they framed it that the Hojo were the bad guys, the Hiki were the good guys, Yoriye was just fo trying to follow in the footsteps of his father. So this is actually pretty interesting. Right. Let me what, what year was this book published? Uh, this is 2001. Okay, so this is... English this is translation, 2001. Book was originally published in French in 1998. Okay, so this is relatively new then, so maybe this is the new 
take on the situation. I wonder what George Sansom's take is on the whole thing. I'm assuming George Sansom is probably more on the Yori Ie side. Um, probably, uh, but I, here's here's the thing with Sansom, and, and um, you know, I, I know that we use him for a lot of our stuff simply because he provides a very easy to understand framework uh, written chronologically. But right. Which it, it, it's very simplistic. Yeah, yeah it's very so outdated. A lot of it is outdated. The assumption, outdated, yeah. the assumption would be that a mother would not assassinate her own child. <laughs> so therefore, it won't be in. There. Therefore, you know, why would he he write that? Of course, the reason he wouldn't write that is because he doesn't he didn't have the actual sources that said that or mm-hmm. um, so forth. So I, it's interesting. I mean, it's an, it presents an interesting problem with history. Oh yeah, you and trying to understand. Completely. Because you'll read one source that says one thing, and you'll read one source that says another. Which, which is basically the opposite. And you have to go look at their sources, and you right. have to look at the arguments and determine for yourself what it, what it actually is. I mean, the it's, yeah, <clears throat> and it's so it it's so common to find things where somebody just makes an assumption. Oh well, obviously because it's the mother, therefore she wouldn't want. Yeah, to do and then of course they are uh, they are a, a PhD or they are they are an established professor or a doctor, and then they yeah. w- they make their assumption. Then everyone bases their work on this assumption, <coughs> which was just an assumption. Well, and as a as a graduate student, as a aspiring historian, whatever we want to call ourselves, myself, I mean I do that all the time. I, I make assumptions because otherwise. If you don't make assumptions, you, you, well, you it's, get it's nowhere. Well, it's good to tag it as an assumption, though, rather than a fact. Well, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's good to tag it as an assumption, but sometimes you just, you, you can't get anywhere without making without making tons of assumptions, even right. knowing that it, that your argument is not that strong. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I just meant, you know, paper's due tomorrow, and yeah, you have well, to, yeah. You know. so <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just and, saying. And, and really, that's what it's all about. The that's paper is due tomorrow. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what matters. How much, how much gets written because the paper or, or your publisher deadline is up? Yeah. Um, and you'll revise it another time. Yeah. Oh, I'll go back and rewrite that in a later edition or something like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think we have a, a solid recap of the previous podcast and a good foundation <laughs> to kind of move forward. <laughs> let's sure. actually move so, forward. So let's, let's actually <laughs> start this one, right? Yeah. Oops. Okay. So anyway, so that's the situation that's set up. And Godaigo ascends to the throne. I'm sorry. <laughs> With the intention of restoring the the right of the imperial family to actually rule, uh, he wants to take away uh, the privileges that the uh, the Bakufu has of assigning land tenure uh, and of uh, the police duties, the 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 right to enforce security that they have. Uh, so. Do you think that he had a firm grasp on reality, or do you think he was just trying to roll the clock back to the golden age of the emperors? Do you do you think he really understood the reality of the situation? No. Uh, well, <coughs> yes, yes and no. He understood in the in the in the micro sense, in the short term, he understood uh, that unlike when Gotoba tried this in the twelve hundred in twelve twenty one, there was a lot more dissatisfaction with Kamakura at this point. That's really okay, so the, he, the he saw he saw he saw the witch where the wind was blowing. Basically. Yeah, I mean he he understood that the samurai were not happy with the way that things had been going for the last fifty years. That uh, they were dissatisfied, uh, and so he saw the opportunity uh, to turn them against Kamakura. Right. So he sends out you know. 
these basically calls to um, calls to arms and uh, uh, challenges Kamakura, and Kamakura sends uh, an army out uh, to put him down, just like took anybody out. Yeah, well, just like just like they had in in twelve twenty one. Right. Um, now I, we're not going to go into the specific details of the fighting. Uh, in this podcast, because yeah, again, this would be that, a, that this, would take too long. But yeah, we, this would make, be good for a yeah. specific podcast on that particular yeah. situation. The, <laughs> the bottom line is that this actually goes back and forth for a few years. He he is defeated and exiled um, at least once, uh, but at the same time, he's still remaining alive when he's exiled. He's still a a symbol of resistance to Kamaka. Right. They they, they didn't so, tend to execute emperors, so Yeah, he he actually he's able to make his way back to um, the capital. Yeah, and his, his son basically built a power base yes. for him while he was exiled. Yes. And then um, Morinaga. Morinaga. Yeah. And then in, in the mountains of Yoshino, as a matter of fact. Uh, and the this is also where we know uh, learn of the story of the most loyal samurai ever, Kusunoki Masashige, right. mm. who is held up as this paragon of loyalty. Uh, and there's even a statue of him in Tokyo to this day of, uh, of him because he was so loyal to Emperor Godaigo and uh, you know, led the resistance against Bakufu forces in... in, in, you, in is this, in this is the one uh, outside the Imperial Palace? Yes. You know, it's, uh, I noticed here, I was reading an article by Reinhard Zollner called The Sun Also Rises, Godaigo in Revolt, and he was saying that, uh, in his article he mentions that a Japanese middle school teacher once informed him in all earnest that it depicted the famous general Nogi Marisuke, <laughs> the conqueror of Port Arthur. Uh, so basically he, he kind of felt that at this point, by, at this point no one really knows who the statue is even of the statue. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's labeled as Kusunoki Masashige, so... I suppose if you just walk by, um, don't read it. You know. <laughs> the... Uh, Anyway, point being uh, that uh, especially you know the reason that it's out in front of the imperial palace is that it, is that Masashige was used as the paragon of virtue by the Meiji government mm. uh, as part of their campaign to uh, instill the ideals of blind loyalty to the emperor. And, and I, I assume he, he was in the. the uh, I assume he was part of uh, the nobility of failure. Yes, he is, I believe, covered in Ivan Morris's book, um, right. The Nobility of Failure, which I haven't read in probably two decades. But, uh, which I've actually um, never read. I will yeah. eventually, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah whatever. It's um, a while. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so, um, so yes, yeah, so what you end up having, and I, I, forgive me for looking at this from a military standpoint for, for a minute, but you, you no. have a, a classic... Um, no, you? Yeah, me, look at it from a military standpoint. You have a classic insurgency. You've got a, 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 an insurgency, yeah, led by basically. you know, or, or or motivated by this the the dissatisfaction with the Bakufu, and Godaigo gives them a symbol, a, an alternate, to try to you know to place their 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 faith in, um, and then he's even though he's exiled initially. Kusunoki Masashige demonstrates that resistance is possible right. by not dying. <laughs> um, you know, he, he resists the, the Bakufu forces, they go into the mountains of Yoshino to try to root him out, and he defeats them um, at uh, Chihaya, 
is one of the fortresses that he holds, right. and and you know, I mean, it's if you read through accounts of it, it sounds like you know U.S. forces going in trying to root out the Viet Cong and not mm-hmm. doing very well. You know, his tactics are ambush and and uh, you know uh, they use uh, different obstacles and different things like boulders rolling down hills. So and guerrilla warfare. Yeah, guerrilla warfare to rolling logs to. Right? Yeah, rolling logs um, to keep the uh, the the Bakufu forces at, at bay. And so he, he's like Rambo, exactly in, in first blood. Exactly. Um, I'm telling you the law out here. It's me. Don't push it. <laughs> so anyway, as this, you know, it, if if the Bakufu could immediately went in there, crushed everything, and you know that was the end of that, then they would actually potentially have had a similar situation as the end of the Jokyu War. Mm-hmm. They would defeat his supporters of Godaigo, be able to confiscate all their lands, and now we have lands to give out to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so they potentially could have gained from this, but because they cannot defeat Kusunoki Masashige, and resistance, the, the fact that resistance is possible is demonstrated to, you know, so graphically in several different engagements, it a shows the weakness of the Bakufu, mm-hmm. um, and B shows that there's alternatives. So you gradually start to see warriors from around the country changing their affiliation. Right. Uh, and so what you end up having is two uh, conflicting centers of, or two conflicting powers mm-hmm. that around the country the warriors start to align underneath. And for the first time since before the Jokyu War even, or the Jokyu disturbance, Eastern warriors are now joining the side of the Emperor. Right. So what, you, what you'll have, um, like if, uh, I, I just finished reading uh, Peter Arneson's uh, The Medieval Daimyo, uh, the Je- Medieval Japanese Daimyo is the name of the book. It's a case study of the Ouchi clan. Um, so he traces their development from the time of Yoritomo all the way through their destruction during the uh, Sengoku period. Hmm. And um, so he, he talks about it as the, using the Ochi, but this was a time, this was one of the times where you have two conflicting um, sources of power or, or elements of power and different regional uh, or local power brokers, uh, warriors would choose sides as an excuse to attack their neighbors their, their local rivals. That makes sense. Sure. So, um, for instance, the Ochi initially join, uh, I believe, if I, I can't remember specifically, but they join um, the imperial side, let's say, mm-hmm. um, as an excuse to attack the uh, Shugo or the Jito assigned by Kamakura, not because they believe in Godaigo's cause. Well, because it justifies what they right, do. Right, because they want to take the lands of, right. of the guys next to them, uh, so this justifies them doing that. And this, you, you will see this pattern extend through Japanese history in several different time frames. But this is one of the times where this is, this is the case. It's like, I can now attack you uh, and better myself, and this is the justification I have for that. Um, and so you also see samurai start switching sides constantly, mm-hmm. based on which side is going to give them the better, you know, sure. justification and the better deal at a, at a particular time. Now, what happens is uh, eventually is that Kamakura sends out uh, a couple different armies, led by uh, one led by <coughs> Ashikaga Takauji, mm-hmm. 
uh, and another led by uh, Nito Yoshisada right. to put down the imperial forces. Well, they both decide that you know in this in the same vein that they're sick of you know eh, Kamakura is not doing anything for me. Let's attack the you know let's switch sides, go support the emperor, and attack Kamakura. So they do this. Nito Yoshisada's forces nice actually. Huh? Nice guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> These Yoshisada's forces actually are the ones that destroy Kamakura. Right, they, they basically wipe out the last Yeah, they, region, they, so. they turn around, um, attack Kamakura, and destroy the Bakfu, essentially. In 1333, right? In 1333. So at this point, Kamakura is, is dead, and you now have the uh, Emperor Godaigo as the sole beacon of power. Um, Ashikaga Takauji as the most powerful of the warriors at this point remaining, you know, supports Godaigo's reentry into Kyoto uh, and and feels that it is his right to be set up as the next shogun. Hmm. Uh, and this is where we start having some conflict because between on on this side, you know, now we've eliminated Kamakura, but the different individual power brokers on the winning side are now going to kind of go at each other's throats. Yeah, I think, I think Godaigo had a good year or two in, he did. in charge. Yeah. <laughs> he did, but what happens is that he, his whole point was that I'm, you know, I'm the emperor, I have the power to delegate, to distribute land titles and, and make all these decisions and whatever. And he probably assumed that Ashikaga Takuji would line up behind him, just get in line. Well, of course, he's the, he's the emperor, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, and not only just because he's the emperor, because he's, he's the emperor who has the power to name you shogun. Right. So, if, yeah, that, if well, like that, that's a little bit of a back and forth. But also, I mean, he's taken power, okay? So Godaigo comes in, he takes power. What's he, what's he trying to do? He's trying to restore the noble class, the Kuge. Right. So he starts handing out lands. Where are these lands going to? Not the people who just helped him defeat <laughs> Kamakura. Exactly. They go to other members of the Kuge, other members of the nobility, right? He's not the warriors. Yeah, trying to reestablish his own. Uh, so why was everyone? Why were all the warriors pissed off at Kamakura in the first place? They weren't they getting rewarded. They weren't getting lands that they felt they deserved for service. So Godaigo ends up creating the same situation that he just profited from. Right. And Ashikaga Takauji takes this as the you know, as his... I mean, he's simply the largest case of this, in the sense that he believes that he should be named Shogun. Godaigo refuses. He... And so, warfare breaks out between the Ashikaga and the supporters of Godaigo. I see. This all makes sense. I, you know, this, this point, this period, yeah. has always been really confusing for me, because you're always seeking to understand something in a simplistic kind of manner. Right. You're always trying to say, okay, whose side was he on? Right. He was on his side. There were two sides. <laughs> Who's, who was on which side? And just trying to get it, get it straight. Right. And, but and, now, and, now and, I get it. And now they it makes switched sense. constantly. Now it makes and sense. And it doesn't end here. Right. Just hang on okay. and, and stay with us because... Okay. Whatever happened to the honorable samurai following the shogun to the grave? Oh, oh he's going to kick you out of here. <laughs> but, it's um, one, but it's one thing to switch sides constantly just because, like, goddamn, why is this so complicated? But it's another thing to actually... It, yeah. it, it, it's starting to come together. This is what... Uh, you, the key point to understand is that everybody's out for their own interests. Sure. So... 
you know, you have you have this continue, and it, it, you know, we'll talk about uh, Taco Uji wins. Uh, <laughs> Godaigo is uh, sent off, not sent off in exile. What's the word? His he and his followers retreat to the mountains of Yoshino and and basically hide out for uh, the next sixty plus years. However, fit, uh, fit specifically fifty six years. Fifty six years. Thirteen thirty six okay. to thirteen ninety two. Okay. But this awesome. doesn't end anything. No. <laughs> what I never really got until I started really reading in detail, uh, I, I just assumed, okay, so 1336 uh, is when Ashikaga Takauji kicks out the Godaigo. He sets up another emperor. Uh, Chris, do you have the name? So Takauji Taka sets yeah. up the second son of Emperor Gofushimi to become uh, Emperor, uh, emperor Komyo as the head of the northern court. Yes. And it's also good to point out that unlike China, which would kill their emperors and replace them with a totally new family, right. anytime Japan replaced an emperor, they always replaced an emperor with another member of the emperor's family. Right. And actually, let's time out for a second, because we forgot to explain the whole northern and southern court thing. Well, we're just about to get That's kind of well, over. But it goes to. back before <laughs> this. Okay. What we mean when we refer to that is there were there were two basically two imperial lines uh what had happened was oh that's right in the uh, and uh, again uh you know we're, i'm doing this from memory but at the towards the end of the 13th century the there was uh an imperial succession dispute within the the <coughs> imperial family right. um where the emperor died and there were two brothers Mm-hmm. And who both had a claim on the throne, and, it, and the imperial, um, the imperial court could not settle who was going to be named emperor, and so they ended up deciding to just kind of sweep, uh, take turns. Well, what they did was right. they asked Kamakura. Oh, they asked the Hojo Bak, the the Bakfu, led uh, controlled by the Hojo, help us decide how to handle this situation. Mm-hmm. Right. So the solution that they hit on was, well, we'll alternate. Somebody from uh, this side will get it first, and then the next one will come from this side. And so they set up the pattern of alternating succession, and the two sides became known as the North and the, and the South, I believe because of their relative uh, positions within the capital of, of the palaces that they occupied. Right. right. But so you have the northern, uh, the northern family, the Northern Line, and the Southern Line. And so in many ways, Kamakura uh, sealed the fate of their own because this is what leads to when Godaigo takes um, control this this has a large part of the whole conflict in this this fight between the north and the south and Godaigo decide what I th- if I remember correctly what really brought it to a head as the the, the lit match that mm-hmm. started everything was that Godaigo refused to let the other one I forget I think he That's, was on the southern side yeah I fr- he, he refused to name the northern um, candidate for the throne as his successor that sounds mm-hmm. familiar right. to me so so this creates <laughs> a big you know th- this is kind of what's up but using that as background what happens is Takauji when he kicks, when he chases Godaigo out of Kyoto in 1336, sets up the northern candidate, which becomes Gokomyo, or Emperor Komyo, I'm sorry, um, as, the, as the emperor. Right. So now, he has a legitimate emperor supporting him. Right. Except it's, that, a, it's a puppet. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Except that, except that Godaigo has not um, really given up 
is yes, abdicating or whatever. Right. And so he's hanging out in Yoshino, which is sort of a short distance from Kyoto proper. And he right. and, and he establishes I mean I, I don't really know the in, ins and outs of how much power he tries to exude at this point, but he, he continues to hang out in Yoshino and claim to be emperor. Yes. And you, the, you the, have southern, the southern court. You right, have the northern, northern line the northern line occupying the court in Kyoto as the emperor set up by Takauji. And then you have the have Godaigo at Yoshino with his own separate court. Plus he also has the, the imperial regalia with him, right? Yes, oh, yes. Right. That's Which another is also, thing is uh, when he fled right. Kyoto, he took the three items of the imperial regalia, or at least really nice replicas. Yes, yeah, or at least really topic nice for another day. Uh, Which would be the sword, the mirror, and and the jewel, the jewel, the, the magatama. Right. Um, <coughs> now we're not going to get into it. There's a there's a whole lot of back and forth about you know different raids to recover the mm, right, um, right. the the items and certain of them being hidden in the snow from people and all sorts. But of suffice stuff. to say, all sorts, sorts of wonderful legend about the whole thing. But but suffice to say that for the next fifty six years, both groups, the group in Yoshino and the yes. group in Kyoto proper, continue to um, name their own successors and right. to have two correct two. Um, Correct. Emperors at the same time, and, and two separate Nengo, which drives me crazy. <laughs> Rain names are era names yes. that are con- uh, that are yes. you know, going. Depending along. on which one you supported, was the was the year name that you used. If you do happen to have any questions in regards to the different Nengo periods, we have at least one person on the forum who would be able to answer these questions for you. Pretty much any question you could ask. Um, exactly. Um, so anyway, continuing on. Um, this is why I said hold on to your seats, this doesn't <coughs> stop. Mm-hmm. Because now you have two competing centers of legitimacy, the Northern Court and the Southern Court. And the Northern one is officially there in Kyoto and set up and supported by Takauji. But anybody who decides that they don't like what Ashikaga Takauji is doing, to include his own brother, can exactly. simply switch sides, say, I now support the Southern Court, and continue this war. Right. So, so you have not, on, not only are dissatisfied people joining the Southern Court, but Ashikaga Takuji's own brother decides that he doesn't like the way things are going and joins the Southern Court. Yes, they, they, this, this sets up, um, this continues on pretty much until Yoshimitsu. In 1350-1351, uh, Tadayoshi is excluded from administration, uh, is forced to become a priest, and his adopted son, uh, Tadafuyu, is, I guess, called a rebel and sort of forced out of Kyoto. And then, basically, between 1351 and 1358, Tadayoshi joins the southern court. Uh, the southern army basically takes Kyoto, and there's a, basically a struggle for Kyoto for, for eight years. Yeah, what, what, um, what you have is a, a difference in philosophy. That's really the problem between Tadayoshi and... Uh, um, and Takauji. When they set up the initial Kamakura government, Takauji is the shogun, and Tadayoshi is... So I was reading an article by Kenneth Grossberg, who, who also wrote the book Japan's Renaissance, which is an excellent book on the Ashikaga shogun, and I totally recommend it. Uh, but he wrote an article for Monumenta Nipponica called From Feudal Chieftain to Secular Monarch, The Development of Shogunal Power in Early Muromachi Japan. And he, his take on it, and you can tell me that take, but his take on it was basically a, the philosophies were uh, Takauji was more of a military chieftain, feudal lord, basically, and Tadayoshi was a Hojo-type bureaucrat, 
And so that's where their sort of philosophies clashed. Yeah, um, in uh, Arneson's book that I mentioned earlier, the medieval Japanese daimyo, uh, he discusses it. So when they set up the Ashikaga Bakfu mm-hmm. in Kyoto, uh, the Murumachi district of Kyoto, Takauji and his close retainer Ko Moronao, uh, Moronao, sorry, retained control over the organs of government that dealt with the warrior class. So right, the right. Samurai Dokoro, uh, or the Board of Retainers, uh, and so forth. Tadayoshi, who had kind of more of an administrator side, like like he said, was given control uh, as Takoji's brother of the judicial side of the government. Uh, so the courts, uh, etc. So what ends up happening is eventually in uh, 1349, there's a difference in philosophy uh, in how they decide to handle certain uh, certain issues of land rights. Tako Uji and Cole, because their focus of government and their basis was in the warrior class, um, they especially wanted to uh, give additional land rights to the Gokanian, to the warriors that supported them, especially in the Kenai region around the capital, because they were from the Kanto and had moved into the capital region. They needed the support of the local warriors from right. that area. Of course. So they wanted to give additional land to them. Tadayoshi, on the other hand, because the uh, the mandate of the Bakafu from the court, the reason they were given their whole job in the first place was to protect the uh, land of the nobles. Exactly. Relied on the legal codes that had been in place and um, emphasized protecting noble, uh, protecting the rights of the nobles and the temples and the shrines and all as showing proprietors uh, and keeping warriors from encroaching on those rights. So this leads to a conflict uh, between them. Yeah, in 1350 is when uh, Tadayoshi is exiled uh, and Tadafuyu killed. And Tadayoshi decides that, you know, well, screw this, I'm going to go fight for the southern side. Uh, and, uh, Do we know why he was uh, forced out? Yeah, Komodo now convinced Takoji to dismiss Tadayoshi because the, the, the argument really was between uh, Ko and uh, Ashikaga Tadayoshi. Ko Moronao, as the, as the person in charge of getting warrior support, uh, especially recruiting warrior support around the capital region, wanted to give the various land rights to the warriors around the capital so that they could, so that they would fall under the, the Bakufu and, and increase the, uh, the Bakufu's yeah. warrior base. Tadayoshi fought him on this. So that's really where it, where it comes from. Well, and apparently it says that Tadayoshi actually even tried to have Moronau assassinated, tried to have him killed. So, um, Which could very well be the case. So when that, when that failed, he forced him to leave the government, shave his head, and become a Buddhist monk. Um, yeah, actually, right, right so, here, so you said Arneson says, and in, in uh, the 10th month of 1350, Tadayoshi switched his allegiance to the Southern Court and rallied a substantial number of powerful Eastern warriors against Moronau and his brother Moroyasu. Within four months, Tadayoshi had succeeded both in killing the Cole brothers and in sweeping Takauji's forces from the capital. So he actually retakes Kyoto mm. and forces Takauji 
Ashikaga Taka Ujiyama. Right. This is right. in 1350. Yeah. Now, if you look at the timeline of the Ashikaga, and you don't really get into the, you see 1336, Murumachi Bakufu established, and you, you, assume you really that just kind of, okay, yeah, okay, they're, they're now in power, they just rule like the Kamaka. They, it really, until the end of the 1300s, nothing was settled. Nothing was was uh, was, was in place. This yeah, really, was it, it wasn't until the uh, <clears throat> the third shogun, Ashikaga Yoshimitsu, did everything finally yeah. come together and everything settled down. Hmm. Yeah, it says, um, most of the many of the most powerful warrior houses in the Kanto had been Tadayoshi's allies, and it was to take a decade for the Bakufu to bring this area fully under its control again. Moreover, Tadayoshi's son, Tadafuyu, was able to rally considerable support in western Honshu, and the great warrior houses of this region maintained an allegiance to Tadafuyu under the southern court well into the 1360s. Yeah, so I don't think Tadafuyu was assassinated. I think he was just no. kept out. It looks like from basically from, from 1362 onward, the Ashikaga shogunate was more, more or less stabilized in Kyoto. Yes, they had control of Kyoto, uh, and uh, Yoshiakira uh, succeeds Takuji. Uh, his father, uh, but they still have the consolidation of power around the country to deal with. And um, actually, by appointing, basically because of all these issues happening in the capital region, they had to start appointing the Kande and the Shugo out across the country. Yeah, yeah. Specifically because of the issues they were having, and we'll, which then we'll get to that. In a, yeah. But to to sort of look yeah. at it the long term, these. This is what almost. This is kind of what resulted in the Sengoku period later on. Is all of these power bases were planted all throughout the country, yeah. mm. and without given much oversight. Well, let's yeah. go ahead and, and and talk about that. We'll talk about the. I, and again, I just finished Arneson's book, which described this in detail, um, looking at the Ouchi clan. But um, what what happens is, um, pretty much according to him, is that. Under Kamakura, you have the Shugo and the Jito, which we talked about. The Shugo being the constables or the uh, the military governors assigned to control, you know, to policing functions in each province, and the Jito or the military stewards, who are responsible for collect, make, ensuring the uh, collection of taxes on right. the individual shōen. What happens is that these positions are given additional powers by the Muramachi Bakufu. Because their rule is so unstable, right? Uh, especially in the first fifty years of it, this is how they ensure control uh, and the loyalty of the regional mm. uh, warriors of the the warriors of of means around the the country. And the the Ouji are one of these uh, in uh, Suo Province, right? So. What they do um, is they they give them additional taxation rights. One of them is called the Hanze, which is translates as half tax, and it's um, essentially that half of the taxes in each location can be taken by the shugo, the uh, the military governor, as military provisions. Mm. So this gives the the shugo. This is what makes the Shugo into the Shugo Daigo. Right. Because now because they get so half of yeah. yeah, now they get half of everything. And this tax was levied not only on the sh on uh, on public land, but on the Shoan as well, on the private estates. So Which is interesting because the whole I mean the whole definition of the Shoan, as we discussed in several podcasts ago, right. was that it was exempt from taxation. Right. right? And and you find 
what, what ends up happening is the, uh, and it's really interesting how he details it, uh, the public land, the Kokoga in Suwa province was, um, had actually been assigned as, for management to the Todaiji oh, by okay. the court. So the Todaiji was responsible for managing the public land. And Toda, Todaiji being the temple. Todaiji being a temple in Nara. Right. Um, so they were, they sent out the uh, a Mokudai or a um, uh, an official to control, oversee things. Oversee yeah. things. Uh, and he was responsible for collecting all the taxes and making sure everything was done and, 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 and so forth. And they went, the taxes didn't go to the government, they went to Todaiji. Todaiji. Mm. Well, as this continues on, and more and more, not only in the Kokuga, but in the Shoen, more and more authority is given over to the Jito and the Shugo, um, what ends up happening is it's too much of an effort uh, for the proprietors of these estates to try to fight the warrior inroads into their lands. So what they end up doing is in order to guarantee that they even get anything, they, they work say, together with the Shugo. They say, okay, give us, yeah, we're going to give you control over the estate um, as the Jinto. You have complete control over it. In order for us to do that, though, you're going to give us each year or each, you know, taxation period, you give us X amount of value mm. so that we know that we've got, we don't care what the, the fluctuation is and, you know, this, give us this set amount of income and then the rest of it, it's all up to you. Yeah. You do whatever you want. So that way they were getting at least a guaranteed amount of taxes. Right. right. Um, <clears throat> Although I can't imagine, but it left the administration completely in the hands of the warrior of the local warriors. But what what stops the local warriors from just saying, "Now we're in control. We're not going to pay you." Well, that's eventually where we get to. Yeah. But we're not quite there yet. Okay. Sorry. Probably about 150 years off at this yeah. point. But, but what you find, it, it's <clears throat> interesting. Uh, again, one of the things I found interesting in in Arneson's book is that um, you would have individuals, and the o the Ochi were like this, where they were. Um, they were assigned positions within the Kokuga, was within the public office of the province, where they had control over taxation and, and income being processed or, or whatever. But they were simultaneously also given Jito positions within the Shoen. So they were controlling the both. same person would be controlling both, but one of them as a public aspect and the other one as a private aspect. And it eventually got to the point where when uh, the proprietors, when the owners of these estates would say, okay, you know, you can have, you can, you, you can control it, but give us this amount. And then they weren't getting that amount. Eventually they had to, uh, they would take it to the Bakufu courts, the, the courts run by the Shugo in each location. Mm. And the estates would be halved. So they would say, okay, it's not working out for us. We're not getting the money that we that we thought we were going to get by giving you control over the estate, so we want it back. And then, but the Shugo, because they the Jito were direct retainers of the Bakufu, right. the Shugo wouldn't take, give, take those rights away from them. Mm -hmm. So the compromise was to half the estate. So basically they had, you know, taken over half of the estate simply by doing nothing, doing nothing. And the uh, the actual owners of the estate were had lost, you know, were lucky to get half of their income. Right. So, 
coming off of this slight tangent, we are back to uh, the 1360s, where basically uh, uh, yeah. Takauji's yeah. side of the family has retaken Kyoto, and Yoshiakira has been established as the new shogun. Yeah, now there's a little bit of, of stability, a little bit of stability reached, but we still have the, the conflict between the northern court and the southern court, with the southern court. You know, so there's still fighting going on around the country, and there's still uh, different uh, warriors changing sides and uh, as it suits them and allows them to attack whoever they want to attack, uh, you know, their, rival, their local rivals. Uh, and this really doesn't change until we have the sh third shogun, uh, Yoshimitsu, come in. Now, he takes over in 1368, I believe. Yeah, 1368. And he's, he's probably the most able and brilliant of all of the shoguns. Yes. And, and if his son wasn't such a loser after him, then the Ashikaga shogunate might have supplanted the uh, yeah. imperial bloodline, at least according to a lot of theory, some theories that are out there. Yeah. So, yeah, there's actually, there, there, there's a theory that he intended to usurp the position of the, of the emperor. Right. I don't know how, I, I, I'm not really sure how I feel about that. I don't know that it... Oh, uh, it's a good article. I, I don't remember, the, I don't have the name of it off the, with me, but I'll, I'll put it up in the uh, podcast blog, but it's a, it's a worthwhile article to look at. It's a really big article, a lot of pages. Okay. <laughs> Most of the arguments I've heard for it have been pretty circumstantial, so... Uh, it's, I, I think it gets pretty specific on some things, huh, but okay. I, I would have to read it again. It's been a while. Interesting. But I'll, uh, I'm sure you'll have access to it, so... Sure. Anyway, so... Um, you know, again, continuing on with this na nationwide struggle for for control between the two courts, as Chris said earlier, the um, you know not only do the Ashikaga assign uh, shugo to each province to to control it, but they assign different uh, regional commanders, shall we say, uh, the uh, the Tandai and the Kanre. Oh right. Uh, the uh, for instance, in uh, Kyushu, we have the uh, the Kyushu Tandai, Kyushu Tandai. Uh, who is the which I think was, was Imagawa Sadayo, if I remember yes. correctly. Yes, he was the first one. Uh, uh, Imagawa uh, Sadayo. Yeah, and then uh, and, and Ryoshin, I think is, uh, he's also... Yeah, he's also oh, yeah, the Imagawa Ryoshin. Ryoshin. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then they had the Kanto Kubo. Right. Basically the same thing. Kanto Kubo, uh, who set up his offices in Kabakuda. Right. Um, but what they, what these, these, they were responsible for pacifying the different regions and then uh, controlling them. So they had overall command of all the Shugo daimyo in that region. So, hypothetically speaking, Imagawa Ryoshin had control of the Otomo, the Ouchi, the Shimazu, uh, Shimazu and so forth on, on Kyushu. And the Ouchi had two provinces of, of Kyushu at various points in time. So he was almost, almost like a vice shogun type right. position. Right, and his job was to conquer and defeat the southern court adherents. In, yeah, in Imagawa Sadio's specific case, he was basically up against Godaigo's son, who was... Kaninaga. Right. Prince Kaninaga. Sure. Right. So, the problem that you run into is that now you've introduced an intermediate layer of authority. Well, what happens when your Shugo Daimyo don't appreciate and don't get along with that intermediate authority? So, several of the, of the changes... Uh, in sides that happened among the, the Kyushu daimyos, including the, the Ouchi, are because they 
didn't want to follow order, the orders of Imogawa Ryoshi, and so they fight against him. And so this, instead of really um, pacifying, pacifying it, it actually keeps it churning on for, for a bit longer. But So Yoshimitsu is really the, the, the guy who ends all this by reaching out to the southern court, and he offers to reinstate the, the, uh, the alternating succession. And eventually, you know, this, is, this has been going on for, for 50 plus years now, so the Southern Court uh, says, okay, we, we will agree to that. And essentially the, the war is, is over. Now, <laughs> they, they've conceded because they agreed to that, those terms, and then those terms are never followed through, and we right. never have a Southern... Uh, lineage emperor ever again. And he even gets them to return the imperial regalia right, as well. Right. So basically he pulls the wool over their eyes and, and from that point until this day we've had northern line emperors the entire time. Um, but it's important to note that they, they were, they're still related to the original line. Yes. And there's never a change of dynasty. Yes. Really. Right. They've yes. always, they've always, any, any emperors yeah. that has been replaced and or this, this came up as a big um, as a big topic uh, in the aftermath of World War II, when the Americans took over, there were actually uh, several people who stepped forward and, and claimed that they were the from descendants of the Southern Court, <laughs> and that they should be uh, installed awful. as the emperor that would to be replace really Hirohito as his uh, his lineage had been yes, fouled or something. As, as he had been responsible for World War II. That's so really interesting. If yeah. that had happened, that would make for a really interesting. Uh, one of them, I believe, was a woman. So there was a there was a um, sure. Why not? There was a talk of installing her as an empress or something like that. I mm. mean, they they've had there was a, an emperor. There was at least one empress who ruled in her own power during the Edo period. It hasn't been that mm. long. Mm-hmm. So Ashikaga Yoshimitsu kind of basically fixes up everything. Uh, finally, after fifty some odd years, he's able to strengthen and solidify the power of the Ashikaga Bakufu, and Ashikaga Yoshimitsu himself would definitely be a good candidate for a podcast all, all on its own because he yeah. contributed so much and did so much. Yeah, Absolutely. he was vital with trade, uh, trade increasing with trade, trade with China. 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 And, he built uh, King Kakuji. Yep. The dreaded King Kakuji that every built foreigner is forced to stand in front of and get their picture taken. Um, I, that I have been to like Kyoto. 17 times. Because it's important to go in every single season. That way you can see it with cherry blossoms and then you can see it with snow and then you can see it with... It's only um, slightly more interesting than Ginkakuji. Yeah. <laughs> I actually like Ginkakuji. Or less interesting, depending on whose argument. I uh, suppose. You know, I don't know. Some people like Ginkakuji better. I've got my obligatory picture in front of Ginkakuji, and I've been like four or five times. That's enough. I don't think I ever need to see I, it again. So, yeah, in, in regards to the uh, Ginkakuji being burned down, which not a lot of people realize, and I think it was in the 50s, yes, uh, it, was. it was burned down by a, a crazy monk or something along those lines, yes. in the reality. But uh, Yukio Mishima, who uh, made himself famous by committing s- sort of a half-assed seppuku. And by writing all kinds of novels and plays that he's famous for. Yeah, and, and yeah, I actually did. Who cares about that? Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm not I, a he, he wrote Temple of the Golden Pavilion, at least that's the English title, I assume the Japanese title yeah. is just King Kakuji. Yes. Uh, I read that it's, a, it's sort of an interesting, disturbing book about a sort of a crazy... He, he writes it from the viewpoint monk. of the monk who eventually burns down King, King Kakuji. Right. Uh, it, was, it was an interesting book. Yeah. It's, it's a disturbing uh, look, not only into the monk's mind, but into Mishima's, who right. I'm not a big fan of because I think he was bonkers, but... Um, <laughs> Well, if, if anyone wants, wants to read a good seppuku book, read Patriotism <laughs> by Mishima. 
It's like 30 pages, 40 pages, and uh, it's basically the What's entire... What's even worse is if you've seen the movie... <laughs> haven't seen the movie. The, uh, the seppuku in there is um, like one step short of real. <laughs> it's pretty graphic. And uh, I so, think did Mishima play that part? Yes, he did. Oh, okay, yeah, I've seen um, a few movies that he was in. Wow. Oh, he's um, God. He was an odd dude. Yeah. But that's Some, beside the point of that's this. Well, it's worth mentioning because Yoshimitsu built King Kakuji, and then someone burned it down, and then Yukio Mishima wrote a book about the guy that burned it down. So it all ties together. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there were some really nice paintings of it burn, being burned down. Anyway. So that pretty much covers this podcast. We've covered everything from the. Kemu restoration through the Nambokucho period to the sort of the resolution of the Nambokucho period through Ashikaga Yoshimitsu. Right. And sort of a nice bookends. And then I guess the next podcast will most likely be yeah, from we'll sort of. Kind Yoshimitsu. of cover the rest of the Ashikaga Bakufu up, up through. Most likely the up until the Onin War. Yeah. And that's what we'll cover next time. Yes. So. Uh, listen again. So, anyway, coming to you or. Saying mahalo from the probably 87 degree Fahrenheit uh, Center Archives studio. You're on crack. It's 187 degrees. 187, okay. Precisely. Exactly. 187 degrees Center Archives studio at the University of Hawaii. This is Chris for Travis and Nate saying mahalo for listening. Catch you next time. Bye-bye. Later. Oh, no good, oh, no,